Hello everyone, I'm Charlotte. And I'm Dina. Welcome to The Grim Curriculum. Well, we're coming to the end of it, so we're just gonna, we're not gonna bother with the banter, or at least not too much. We're just gonna jump right into it, because I'm sure you guys want to know the ins and outs of this whole Hinterkaifeck situation. We are women on a mission today, and that is to bring you... (laughs) boatloads and boatloads of information and German names and confusion and uh yeah yeah so uh, going I guess, in. yeah in, in a lot of ways I'm kind of sad that it's over but at the same time I'm really really eager to stop thinking about tapping in the walls <laughs> and missing heads me too today we are going into the details regarding who could have been causing that tapping in the walls we're going to be looking at various theories about who could have killed the grubers of maria baumgartner as well as exploring some of the more recent theories and claims that have come up regarding this still unsolved case we're also going to talk about how the second world war affected the investigation as well as hindered it today is very much about the rabbit hole that is the hinterkaifeck murders this is definitely one of those episodes that is going to lead you down a ton of twists and turns. That's the really fascinating thing about exploring these unsolved mysteries. But before we do that, let's do a quick little recap of the first two parts of the series. And if you haven't listened to the first two parts, stop listening now, go on back, and come back and meet us here. Alright, so we aren't going to spend a ton of time recapping the first two episodes. But we wanted to make sure we reminded you of a few things. So let's start with that. So we got the Gruber family. Andreas, Cecilia, Victoria, Cecilia Jr., and little Joseph, along with their maid, Maria Baumgartner, were all murdered by an unknown assailant. Or assailants. The absolutely shocking thing is that it is very likely that whoever killed them was living on the farm, unseen for a period of time beforehand, and it's been confirmed that whoever it was stayed on the farm for days after their deaths, maintaining the property and taking care of their animals. We also talked about how six months before the murders, the longtime maid of the family left after being tortured with sounds in the walls, disembodied voices, and other strange occurrences. At first, Andreas didn't believe her. However, it would seem that he would investigate the barn and other areas whenever she would mention it. But despite all that, he never heard anything while she was there. We're going to be talking about her a little more uh, with her story today. Once she left, the adults in the family were now under a much larger level of stress with having to maintain the farm, the house, and look after the kids. Didn't take long until they began experiencing strange and unexplainable things too. They began to hear the same strange noises, the tapping in the walls, the voices they couldn't quite make out, and then one day their keys went missing. At this point, the family was overworked and very stressed out. They were paranoid and they began arguing with each other over whether or not it was a family member doing these things. Despite what was actually happening on the farm, there is no doubt that its inhabitants were absolutely terrified. Not to mention the fact that the random newspaper just showed up in their kitchen. Here's the big thing with that. You may remember us mentioning that shortly before the newspaper showed up, little Cecilia went missing. The entire family flew into a panic and began to look for her. They eventually found her, and she was fine, but she was very confused about how she got out of the house and into the forest. And here's some speculation from us, because we both were wondering about this while researching for the series, but we were surprised that not a lot of people really talked about this incident. Okay, so Cecilia was only seven years old, right? But she lived on the farm for her whole life. The farm was surrounded by dense forests, which had its own dangers, animals, the potential of getting lost, etc. So she was most likely raised not to go into the woods alone, or if she did, she knew how far she could go in, etc, etc. There isn't really anything that indicates she was a rebellious child or anything like that, so we both kind of find it hard to believe that she just went out one day and got lost. It's not impossible, but it just isn't likely. And remember that this was in the evening, too. 
Either way, we want to point out that basically the entire family went out looking for her. They called out for her and searched for a little while until they found her. Which means that the house was left completely unattended. So we have a few possibilities. Either she went out at night and got lost. Not impossible, but how likely is it? Or maybe she sleepwalked. It's not impossible that she could have walked out into the forest while she was still asleep and gotten lost. She could have woken up in the middle of the forest, which would explain her confused state of mind. And honestly, you guys, I barely know where I am when I wake up, so that kind of checks out for me. <laughs> okay, so let's just visit another option real yes. quick. Again, this is just a guess coming from us. This isn't proven, but it isn't impossible, and it's something we don't see talked about enough. And it honestly makes this entire thing so much more horrifying. We can agree at this point that someone was most likely on the property, right? Yes, I think so. Either that or it was ghosts. So what if Cecilia was taken out of the house or possibly lured out while in a sleepy daze so that the entire family would have to leave and go looking for her, giving the unwanted guests on the farm an opportunity to get into the house? And chances are they had the missing keys. And then they would have waited until the family was far enough away, snuck into the house to place a newspaper on the table. At the end of the day, they either saw that the family had momentarily left the house to look for her and they took advantage of the situation, or they created a scenario where the family would leave the house so they had to place something there that could scare them. This just confirms to me that someone there was just screwing with them. That's honestly horrifying. That level of, I mean, let's call it what it is, it's psychological torture. Yep. So the level of psychological torture to an entire family over the course of months is absolutely evil. It makes me wonder if the intention was always to kill the family, or maybe someone just didn't like them at first and was just horribly messing with them. Not to mention the tracks in the snow. The tracks that led into the house, but didn't lead out. Which honestly was either someone walking into the house and not leaving, or someone like we mentioned in the first episode walking backwards just to mess with them. Both are horrible. <laughs> all of these events led to the murders themselves. That's right, and we're going to be talking a lot about all the potential suspects today. So many suspects. So many. Their bodies were discovered by their neighbors, Lorenz Schlittenbauer, and two other men. Everyone who lived on the Hinterkaifeck farm was murdered March 31st, 1922. It's likely that the majority of the victims, with the exception of the maid Maria and two-year-old Joseph, were lured to the barn where they were killed. It would take four days for the bodies to be discovered for the terrifying reason that the neighbors thought the Grubers were still alive and well despite not seeing them. While the neighbors hadn't seen the Gruber family themselves, numerous people reported seeing that the animals had been looked after. They also saw smoke coming from the chimney numerous times. Not to mention the two strange reports of unknown people being seen on the farm. Needless to say, the police had one hell of an investigation on their hands. George Ryan Gruber was tasked with leading it. There are many things that made it incredibly difficult to investigate the murders. The contaminated crime scene really did not help things. No, it didn't. And with random people just walking around the house trying to get a look at things, as well as people literally just chilling out and cooking in their kitchen, not to mention everything else people were doing around there. I really can't get over the fact that people were just cooking in the kitchen. I know. Right after the family that owned the house had been slaughtered. The audacity. I, I mean, maybe, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, but imagine, like, a crime scene is bad enough as it is without, what, dozens of people tromping through it. <laughs> and you know they didn't clean up after oh, themselves. No. Like, they were messy as hell in that they kitchen. They were like, it's a crime scene anyway. Like, let's leave our plates out on the counter. Exactly. Either way, Detective Ryan Gruber and his men, they cleared the area and they began their investigation. Their goal was to find the killer or killers, but before they could do that, they needed to figure out the motive. 
What could possibly cause someone to want to kill six people? Especially in such a gruesome and violent manner. Speaking of, we want to clarify something. In the last episode, we said that they concluded from the autopsy that the main murder weapon was a Matic, but we were mistaken. They actually originally thought it was a pickaxe or a similar tool. They hadn't found the weapon yet and assumed that's what it was. It did actually end up being a Matic, so we were technically wrong, but we're going to get back to that in a little bit. One of the things we talked about very early on in the series is that Hendrik Heifek Farm was considered very well established, and it was known that the Gruber family, no matter how frugal they were, had a lot of money. The police figured that out pretty quickly, and they thought that they were killed as the result of a burglary. And I mean, as a motive, that would probably make sense. Money unfortunately leads people to do a lot of shitty things to one another. The strange thing here is, though, Victoria allegedly did empty her bank account a few days before the murders. She donated a pretty decent sum of money to the church, but it's unclear what was done with the rest. She told the people who asked about the money that she had raised the funds doing missionary work. It absolutely does lead people to do terrible things. However, it doesn't look like that was the case here. When police investigated the home, they found that the family had large sums of money hidden throughout the house and that if someone wanted to find it, they would have. So if they weren't killed over the money, what could it have been? At this point, Ryan Gruber gathered the information that he could and he returned to Munich where he would have continued to investigate remotely. What's interesting about this is that Ryan Gruber and his team were not the only ones investigating the case. There were actually a bunch of different police forces that were out there trying to solve the case. It was unlike anything most people had seen at the time, and I'm sure a lot of people just wanted to be the ones that solved the case. And something that I wondered about this was how well all of these different teams actually work together. Because there's so many American serial killer cases, as an example, that went unsolved for years just because investigators didn't communicate totally. state to state. Or like the FBI isn't cooperating with the state police or whatever. Exactly. And I wonder if it was like, did they work together well as a team or was it, well, I want to solve it. Like a competition yeah, kind of thing. exactly. Yeah. I mean, so this is all going on. At this point, the family's heads were sent away, and I think we all remember what happened there. Yes, and as we know, a lot of you probably thought the use of clairvoyance may have been strange, but it was pretty common at the time. The mediums that were known for helping solve crimes were called criminal telepaths. That actually sounds less like someone that would help you and more like someone that would, like, steal your thoughts. Like, right? you're a criminal a crimi You're going to, like, find out my PIN number by reading my mind and steal the $20 <laughs> in my bank account. You're going to be very disappointed when you get inside my brain. Let me tell you. Right, you're going to be scared. <laughs> Don't. Stay out of my brain, please, clairvoyance. You're going to yeah. have a bad time. Do not enter. The worst thing about it is this entire thing didn't have to happen because they didn't get any more information about the case at all. They took their heads would later lose them and they weren't any closer to figuring out who did it. So you're telling me that they didn't get the information about the murders by no touching the heads no. and feeling the ghosts inside? Who would have thought? Right? So what else could have been a motive? As we mentioned before, the Gruber family was the subject of a lot of town gossip. Could that have been what got the family killed? At this point, they still didn't really have a clear motive, and they were no closer to a suspect than they had been before. However, the team still questioned over 100 people in regards to the murders. 100 people, and they still had no clue who could have done it. A fascinating tidbit about this is that they interviewed a lot of locals, as well as, fo as folks that were just traveling through the area, but do you know who they didn't interview right away? The mechanic, the one that was on the farm shortly after the murders who fixed the feed machine. I thought that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. And it would take until 1933 until he was actually questioned. And strangely enough, no one really knows why it took that long. 
So maybe they couldn't find him or maybe they just didn't see him as a potential suspect. It's hard to say. The police that collected all of the evidence that they could have and the farm was passed on to the person who was next in line to own it. It was none other than the father of Victoria's husband, Carl Gabriel. He had the property completely destroyed the following year. During this process, the mattock was discovered hidden in the attic along with a pocket knife that had been lost in the hay. So with that, the police would continue the investigations until... Are you ready for this? This is mind-blowing to me. The interrogations of potential suspect were officially finished in 1986. 1986. The murders happened in 1922. Ridiculous. Like, that's a long period That's a really time. long time. But you know what that means. It's time to get into our list of suspects. This is a long list for a, a few number of reasons. The first being that the police obviously wanted to solve this case as quickly as possible and that they interviewed as many folks as they possibly could. But keep in mind, these are not just random people that they questioned and brushed off. These are all mostly legitimate people who could have possibly done this. A case with this many valid suspects is certainly bound to be incredibly complicated. And I want to remind you guys of something we talked about in episode one. The Grubers employed a lot of different people not only that, they would often employ people that others refused to hire. This meant that the Grubers would sometimes hire people with criminal records. The First World War hadn't ended all that long ago, and that meant a few things. The first being that there was an obvious decline in population due to casualties on all sides of the war. We're by no means a history podcast, no. so we're not going to go super into depth about that, but essentially what happened was the economy was in shambles. I can relate to that. Oh my god, I think we all can. But, that being said, both unemployment and hyperinflation were on the rise, and unlike the Grubers, the majority of regular people were really struggling to survive despite working and earning a wage, also relatable. Right, this is painful. <laughs> uh, these changes in the economy, they led to a rise in criminal activity. And I mean, maybe the Grubers were just really understanding people and they hired someone based on who they were and not what they did, or maybe they just didn't have a choice in the matter. Germany had lost a large amount of its workforce during the First World War, and the Grubers possibly just didn't have a lot of people to choose from. At this point, it made the most sense to the police to start looking at some of the people that the Gruber family had employed as suspects. Speaking of people who worked for the Grubers, we're going to be bringing back someone from the story we haven't mentioned in too much detail, the Grubers' original maid. Yes, so her name was Kretzens Reiger. At this point, she had of course heard about what happened. She would be questioned a few times and would help by providing a lot of information to the police. This led to the investigation of the Bickler brothers. The Bickler brothers were among the first legitimate suspects that the police had. Anton, the older brother, was in his 20s and had already developed a reputation for stealing and other criminal activity. His younger brother, Carl, was going down the same path. The Bickler brothers were employed by the Gruber family from November 1920 to around fall of the following year. Kretzens Reiger said that the brothers were hired to help with the potato harvest and that they knew their way around the property. She also said that shortly after his arrival, she caught the eye of Anton and he would beg her to run away with him so that they could be together. She would deny his advances. However, she claimed that Andreas got wind of this and stood in the way of them being together, which Anton did not take too kindly to. It's kind of a recurring th uh, theme with Andreas, isn't it? it? It seems to come back that he is very possessive of his ladies, and I don't like it. It's toxic. Right, and he's just this, like, old farmer man with all these young ladies around him that he's just, like, possessive over. It's creepy. I don't dig it. Mm-mm. Anton would talk to Riger about his dislike of Andreas and even allegedly suggested on numerous occasions that the whole family was better off dead. Yikes. 
She also mentioned another worker being involved, a man named George Siegel. She believed that George Siegel helped them commit the murders. He had worked on the farm at some point, and he had also attempted to rob the Groomer family in the past. Yikes. Uh, Riker fully believed that they were responsible for the murders. George completely denied this, but did admit to carving his name into the handle of the weapon that would ultimately be used to Hmm. kill them. And he knew where it was kept. That is super sketchy. That's really bizarre. Somehow, okay... He wasn't explored much further. He had an alibi, so they let him go. Lucky guy. As for the Bickler brothers, Riger also told the police that Anton knew their dog really well and knew how to calm him down, which is why the family dog was never heard alerting anyone of the dangers of the farm. Carl was just as shady as his big brother. Apparently someone had seen Carl eating in a nearby town and he was spending a lot of money on food and drink. This was not normal for Carl, who was by no means a wealthy man. They cracked a joke to him about the money and asked him how he came up with it all when he never worked, to which he allegedly replied, I'd be stupid to get my hands dirty when I could get them bloody. What a one-liner. Yeah. Carl was also working out of town during this time, and it would have been difficult for him to make the trips into town on a regular basis to harass the family. He had an alibi, and the police weren't really able to proceed further with him. A waitress also confirmed that the brothers were seen drinking at a bar the night of the murders and couldn't have actually been on the farm. And with that, the Bickler brothers were no longer considered suspects in the Hinterkaifeck murders. I don't know about you, but I honestly thought it was them until I continued looking into this further. It's pretty clear that they weren't exactly good people, but I don't know if they were capable of murder. Kretchen's Riger certainly thought so, mm-hmm. and here's the weird thing. The Bickler brothers weren't the only ones coming to her window at night. This brings us to our next possible suspects, the Taller brothers. Alright, these guys. If you thought Anton and Carl were bad, let us introduce you to... Well, if you thought those other names were going to confuse you, please don't feel bad. We're confused too, because you're going to see a lot of repeating names. Joseph! Another and Joseph. Another one. And another Anton. Another one. Yep, Joseph and Anton Toller, two young men who grew up close to the farm. They were both around their mid-twenties and were never actually employed by the family. However, they were familiar with them because they'd actually tried to rob them a few months prior. How many people tried to rob these guys? Like, it seems like everyone was trying to rob them. Anyways, a witness claimed that they saw Andreas chasing the brothers off the property with a rifle during that time and that he even fired shots at them. So here's where it gets pretty creepy. The brothers also shared an interest in Kresnes Riger, and she claimed that Joseph would stand under her window at night and try to get her attention. Strangely enough, this is also around the same time that Anton Bickler was standing outside her window, but the two somehow never crossed paths. Popular lady. I guess so. She said she ignored him whenever he did this, but one night she didn't. She said that on this particular evening, he showed up at the window and he started asking her really weird questions about the family. He wanted to know things like where each family member slept in the house, as Mm. well as how much money they had on the property and whereabouts they hid it. Cretchens at this point was terrified. She didn't answer him, but she didn't have to. He already knew all the answers, and he told her himself where they slept, and that he knew exactly where the money was hidden. Horrifying. She looked a bit off to the side, where she saw someone else standing. She couldn't make who it was, but assumed it was the other brother. She said she saw Anton shift his eyes up to the attic, almost as if to signal something. At this point, she was already hearing the noises coming from the attic. She already knew something weird was happening on the property. She thought it was possibly haunted. Strangely enough, around midnight, she reported that she saw her bedroom door open and close on its own numerous times. She didn't see anything or anyone when she went to investigate. This poor woman. 
Like, seriously. Yep. It's just like, oh, it's terrible. I'm, not, I'm genuinely not surprised that she'd had enough. Because if I'd have been putting up with that crap for six months, mm-hmm. I would have been like, you know what? It's been nice, but this is not worth it. This isn't worth the pittance that they probably paid her. Probably. The police, hearing all of this, unfortunately didn't have enough to arrest the brothers. But a little over a year later, Kretzens Riger was working at another farm near Hinterkaifeck. Someone who was working there happened to be related to the Taller brothers, and upon seeing her, they threatened her, and they told her that the brothers would kill her too if she continued to talk about them and connect them to the killings. This actually ended up being a good thing because now the police could use the death threat as a reason to arrest the brothers. They were taken into custody where they remained incarcerated and under investigation for months. However, in the end, there was not enough evidence and they were set free. It's all well and good to have had the forensic science advancements, but at the end of the day, they were still in the very early stages. And not to mention that the crime scene was just absolutely destroyed by other people just being there and interacting with things. And that was it for the Taller brothers. Kretchen's Riger would live in fear for the rest of her life, waiting for them to show up at her window again. But they never did, and as far as we can tell, no further records of the brothers exist. This next suspect is a really interesting one, and again, another thing just straight out of a horror movie. In 1921, a man named Joseph Bartle escaped from an asylum in Goonsburg, which was 60 miles away from Hinterkaifeck Farm. So who was this man? Joseph Bartle was known in his town as the friendly and very likable baker. Overall, he seems to have had a really good reputation, and the people in town really, really liked him. And I have to say, he is the only suspect that I... I kind of feel bad for. Aww. Well, in 1916, Bartle was sent to fight in World War I, where he fought in France, and where he would eventually be wounded in the trenches. When he returned, he was not the same man that his friends and family knew. And for good reason. Back then, they didn't fully understand it, but he returned with what we would now classify as severe PTSD. His family actually sent him to an asylum because of this, where he would stay until 1921. We're going to talk about some of the other crimes that happened in the area that really blew our minds in a little bit, but he was linked to one of those crimes while he was here. With hard evidence and a legitimate reason, right? You'd think, but not at all. He was linked to a crime scene because a clairvoyant had placed him at the scene during a spiritual investigation. Damn clairvoyant. I know, right? But anyway, in 1921, he ended up escaping. George Reingruber issued a warrant and his home was searched along with the home of his parents. A lot of people in the area had things to say about him. Someone even claimed to have had overheard him confessing to the murders in a bar. Unfortunately, this led to absolutely nothing because as far as we know, Joseph Bartle was never found. Here's where things get really scary. George Reingruber learned that between 1919 and 1922, there were a series of violent murders of couples as well as families. There was an attack in Hagau only three months prior to the attacks. Two robbers invaded a farm in the middle of the night, and they killed a farmer in a similar fashion. Luckily, his wife was able to escape. Apparently, a local paper even wrote about how this could have been the same people as the Hinterkaifeck killers, but no one really knew who they were. And just days after Hinterkaifeck, and this time only less than five miles away, there was an attack that was very similar to the attack of the farmer and his wife. These seem like targeted crimes to me. A lot of similar aspects to them, and they were all in the same area. We can't forget that the suspects we've already talked about consisted of two men. And I mean, it gets crazy. Both before and after Hendrik Hyfek, there were several murders happening over the years that were really similar. Which is frustrating for many reasons, but it brings up a lot of questions. 
Mostly the obvious, could it have been the same person? But also, why were these not as heavily investigated? Well, I don't think any of these were ever solved either. There was one that was very similar to Hinterkaifeck, but it happened in 1935. A man was convicted, but he would have only been 13 years old at the time of the Gruber family killings, and because of that, he was never investigated as a suspect. Now, I thought the Black Dahlia murders had a lot of different suspects, but this case is wild. I'm gonna have to just quickly plug our Black Dahlia episode. If you haven't listened to it, please go check it out. It is always a good time for a plug. But anyway, these suspects are really interesting because they were actually uh, considered suspects as little as four days after the investigation started. Another set of brothers, Anton and Adolf Gump. The two had no criminal history and really no reputation for violence. They also fought in World War I and they returned. Anton moved to a town about 20 miles away from Hinterkaifeck and he settled down. He got married and he worked as a farmer. Overall, he seemed to have a very happy and peaceful life. But his brother Adolf was not as lucky. Adolf, like many men at the time, was angry because of the result of the First World War and quickly became angry and radicalized. He joined a number of nationalist groups and eventually became involved in the Freikorps. They had a reputation for violence. He was eventually linked to the deaths of nine farmers along with a few other men. They didn't face the charges due to the fact that during this time, a large amount of the police force, as well as politicians, were supportive of their national ways and they would often look the other way, either by choice or by order. George Reingruber listed him as a suspect. They attempted to search for him, but he was never found. Reingruber even wrote him a letter asking him to turn himself in, but he never heard back from Adolf. This was never followed up. Fast forward to almost 30 years after the murders. A woman who was on her deathbed told her priest and her two brothers that had been involved in a terrible crime and that they were responsible for the Hinterkaifeck murders. But by this point, Adolf had passed away. A man named Andreas Pop was determined to solve the murders, and he began to investigate the other grump, grump, the other gump brother. I mean, they were, I guess, kind of grumpy. <laughs> Pretty grumpy sounding guys. Uh, he began to investigate the other gump brother, Anton. Hey, <laughs> Adolf Grump. Adolf Crump. Oh, see, to me, I don't know if any anybody out there is like me and they watch really old movies because that's what I grew up on, but that to me sounds like a Marx Brothers, like, villain. I could see him. Yeah. Adolf very, like, Grump. And black and white. Has, yes. like, the mustache is painted on. It's not even real. It's, like, barely pencil thin. <laughs> and he has a fancy hat and he will, like, steal your money. Is He's coming for you now. <laughs> There is no escape. You cannot escape them. <laughs> oh my god, you guys. Can you tell it's been a week already and it's only Tuesday? Yeah, if anyone else is feeling like it's been a long week and you're <sighs> listening to this podcast to unwind, you are not alone, friends. We got you. <laughs> now back to the madness. They basically had zero evidence other than the fact that his sister had said that on her, her deathbed, so they couldn't hold him for questioning. He was cleared of any involvement and stated that he was incredibly shocked and confused as to why his sister would have said that about him. Investigators did learn from other people who knew the sister that she was known for making up stories. I'm an only child, okay? I do not have any brothers or sisters, but I can only imagine how pissed off I would be if I had a sister and I was all old and shit and then the police showed up at my door and they're like, oh yeah, you know your sister who died? She thinks that you killed an entire family. Because you can't even confront her about it and be like, yo, what the fuck? Yeah, like, <laughs> why did you say that? Why would you do that? I don't know. And just uh, a quick uh, note aside, if my sister is listening, because she does listen from time to time, Hi. I'm probably going to implicate you on my deathbed now, so I guess you better have figured out 
how to go first. Okay, do that. I'll write the book about it. Oh, sick. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Awesome. Okay, perfect. That's but a really good But you know good what? Plan. Because we're planning it, you can pre-write the book. Ooh, And then you yes. can just, like, release it on my death. Okay. Okay. All right, perfect. Deal. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Andreas Pop was determined that it was them. He even said that he believed that Adolf had a relationship with Victoria and that he could have been the father of Joseph. And there was really zero evidence to any of that. The police suspected that the killer hid in the attic and there was evidence that they had stayed behind for days afterwards. Anton could not have possibly done this. He had a wife and a job. People would have noticed that he was gone. Adolf, however, did not. Pop assumed that the two committed the murders and Adolf stayed behind on the farm. At the end of the day, they were not investigated much further because as desperately as Andreas Pop wanted it to be them, there was just not enough evidence. Now, during the first part of this series, we mentioned the name Carl Gabriel, and we asked you to remember him. This part is why. Carl Gabriel was the husband of Victoria Gruber. When him and Victoria had married, Carl had become part owner of the farm. Many people reported that Andreas was not happy about this, and he begrudgingly handed off the farm to the newlyweds. He also apparently really mistreated Carl too, to the point where Carl actually told a neighbor about this and told him that the family was so painfully frugal that they wouldn't even feed him despite having enough money to do so. Carl ended up returning home to his family. He would leave to fight in World War I where it was reported that he was killed while fighting in France. But what if he wasn't? What if he wasn't? The theory is that Carl Gabriel didn't actually die in France and that he returned home to the farm after stealing another soldier's identity. Upon his return to the farm, he was enraged to see that Victoria had given birth to another child. Which I think would make, you know, most people pretty upset. Now imagine how upset he would have been if he, like many others, assumed the father of Joseph was Victoria's own father, Andreas. I originally, I thought of him coming back expecting like a warm welcome and then being upset about seeing Joseph. But the more I think about it, the more I think about the fact that if he really was alive and if he came back, he probably wouldn't have done it happily. He didn't exactly leave the farm on good terms in the first place, and he was already openly angry about the relationship between Victoria and Andreas. Imagine how much more angry he would have been if he was under the impression that they had a child together. And we do want to remind you that his body was not recovered. It was reported that his remains were destroyed when he died. It was likely an explosion that killed him. People said that they witnessed him die, but there was never any physical proof. There are some other reports that say that he didn't die in an explosion, but that his face was completely destroyed. But either way, he was not able to be identified. We want to point out that there not being physical proof of his death wasn't exactly super uncommon during this time. Actually, just a few years ago, the bodies of eight men were discovered that had died during a battle in 1917. Their bodies were thought to be lost forever, but they were discovered and they were finally laid to rest. Unfortunately, Carl's body was not lost. It was likely blown up. So two very different things. What makes it even more interesting is at the end of World War II, there was a group of war captives that were released from Soviet captivity in the Schrobenhausen region. They claimed that the person who sent them home was a German-speaking Russian officer and that he claimed to be the murderer of Hinterkaifeck. A bunch of these men ended up taking back their statements, which makes this a little bit more complicated, but it was known by folks who knew Carl Gabriel that he had always wanted to go to Russia. Not only that, he told people that he wanted to go to Russia to escape the Grubers. 
I mean, at this point, the people in the area all kind of just assumed that the relationship between Carl and Victoria had ended because of the relationship she had with Andreas. I mean, it checks out. So could it have been Carl? He was considered a suspect for a little bit, but like the rest of them, there was just no hard evidence. They didn't even know if he was dead or alive at this point. The thing that is incredibly frustrating about this case and about the suspects is that so many of them seem legitimate. There were so many shady characters running around at this time, and it's really one of those things where you're almost convinced every time you read about a new suspect, but then there's never any evidence or someone else comes up with something else that's more likely. And speaking of people who are more likely, let's go back to someone who we haven't mentioned for a little bit. Lorenz Schlittenbauer. Ah, yes, Lorenz. So we mentioned before that he had wanted to marry Victoria, but Andreas did not allow it, and he was one of the men people thought could have fathered Joseph. Let's also not forget that he was one of the men who discovered the bodies. The other men that were with him noted at the time that his overall attitude was incredibly calm and collected. And we maintain that during a time of deep trauma and stress, you never really know how you're going to react. You know, shock can be a pretty wild thing. So was he shocked or was he calm because he already knew what to expect? When Jacob Siegel, who was there when the bodies were discovered, was questioned, he said that he had no clue who could have done it. However, many people reported him later saying that Lorenz was acting incredibly strange when the bodies were found. He also mentioned that Lorenz knew his way around a little too well, and that when he originally approached him to investigate the farm with him, he said, we should see if the family was killed. Jacob Siegel would even call him the Hinterkaifa killer behind his back. The relationship between Lorenz and Victoria was messy. In regards to motive, Lorenz had a ton of it. Lorenz originally helped out a fair bit with things and answered questions happily. He even took care of the livestock during the investigation, and when things were done, he was able to keep all of the livestock for himself. We also want to point out that at this point, Lorenz had married someone else and even had a child with her. And that's a big get. That was probably a lot of money worth of livestock. Police eventually found out about his relationship with Victoria, and they questioned him about baby Joseph. He told them that he was not the father, but that he did admit to having an affair with her and that they had been intimate around the time that Joseph had been conceived. He completely denied that he could be the father, and when asked who it was, he answered without hesitation, Andreas Gruber. Apparently, he told a friend of his that Victoria told him he was the father, but that he fully believed it was Andreas. Lorenz had filed two complaints against Andreas for morality charges. This was actually what caused him and Victoria to serve time because of their relationship. The second time, he rescinded his complaints and he claimed that he was the father of Joseph. And he was even paying child support for Joseph. When asked about this, he told the police that Victoria had given him money and asked him to quote-unquote pay child support with it, likely so that people did not believe that Joseph was the result of an incestuous relationship. Strangely enough, in 1925, long after the farm had been torn down, a local teacher named Hans Blogger found Lorenz visiting the remains of the demolished farmhouse. He asked him why he was there, and Lorenz responded by talking about how the person who killed them couldn't have buried them because the ground was frozen that night. So that's kind of weird. Yeah. This was seen as intimate knowledge of the crime scene, but it could have also just been him making an observation. And being weird, because, like, why was he there? That's what I don't get. Yeah, I mean, unless it was, like, a coincidence that it was, like, the anniversary of it or something, or... But it is kind of weird to come back to a spot that was, like, the place of a really tragic and horrific murder. But the criminal always returns to the scene of the crime. It is true. Mm, I know. It is so, true. So, why was he never convicted? He had an alibi, his wife. 
She said that he could have never done it because he was working on the farm that weekend and he had been coming in and out regularly to sleep and to eat. It was also noted that Lorenz had severe asthma and people did not believe that he had the strength to kill, let alone kill that many people. Interestingly enough, in 1941, he actually won a civil rights claim against people who described him as the Kaifek killer. He passed away shortly after, still claiming that he was innocent. So, who the hell could have done this? Now, this isn't even the entire list of suspects. These are just kind of the best ones that we thought were possible. And now some of you may be familiar with the Velisca Axe murders that occurred in Iowa in 1912. And that's a case we want to cover eventually too. Yes. A man named Paul Mueller, who was linked to that case, was also linked to Hinterkaifeck. Those murders happened in the U.S., but it's not impossible for him to have traveled to Germany in the years after those murders. It was a 10-year span, so I mean, that's a lot of time. In 1971, a woman came forward and claimed that her two brothers named Carl and Andreas were the killers. She said she overheard her mother talking about it when she was 12 years old. And get this, apparently shortly after that, her mother died after setting herself on fire in the kitchen. Like, holy shit, what a way to go. And these claims were dismissed due to lack of evidence. Oh my god. In 1999, an elderly woman came forward saying that her former landlord had information about the killings. This was investigated, and it turned out that he had provided police with information back in 1935. But at this point, the suspect he mentioned was long, long dead, and they did not investigate it further. That's kind of becoming the, like, recurring theme with this one. It really is. I mean, come on now. I mean, you know, maybe they should have just investigated a little bit further. A little bit. Well, that's the thing. They kept bringing it up, so they were, in a, in a sense, investigating it further. They were trying to, but yeah. But then it always ends with them not investigating it further. Not investigating it enough. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And finally, that brings us to 2007, more than 80 years after the murders. A group of German police academy students set out to solve the murders using modern day technology and technique. And this was truly amazing work. A lot of the information that we're able to find was thanks to them. They have clearly spent a ton of time and effort putting all of the information together. And as you can probably see by now, there's so much of it. They wrote a lot about how the investigators did as thorough of a job as they could have at the time but that there was a huge lack of professional and forensics that were used despite them being available. Fingerprints were never taken, even though that was the procedure at the time. Unfortunately, they were not able to fully solve this case. However, they were able to come up with a theory that they believe to be true, and they do believe they know who killed the Grubers and Maria. Every single author of that report agrees that they have identified who it was. But that is not information that we will likely ever get to know. Nope. It was decided that this information would be kept from the public out of respect for the killer's descendants. But what if I want to know? I want to know, damn it! I feel like after all of this work and after all of the effort that we have put into this and that you guys have put into the hearing about it, we all just want to know. I wonder if it's going to be one of those things kind of like, you know, the information around like the JFK assassination where they've locked it away for... 50, 75, 100 years, but that it will become available at some point when they kind of figure that, like, most of the descendants have kind of, like, moved on from it? I mean, I hope so. I I think that we should know at some point. I think so, too. And we're now sitting at 100 years after the murders. There is a monument where the farm once stood, and as far as we know, 
The killer or killers have long since died, along with everyone else who was hiding information that could have helped solve the case. At this point, it really isn't possible for anyone to be brought to justice by any means. But I do wish we could at least know who it was. Dina, you got any guesses? I have absolutely no friggin' clue. Honestly, every time I thought I knew who it was, I found more evidence that made me look elsewhere. It looks to me like there was a lot happening at the time, especially to the Grubers. Everyone was trying to rob them and stuff, seriously. (laughs) Like, it was an incredibly tumultuous time in Europe, and at the rate of crime that we saw, it was really, really high. Bad things were happening everywhere, and it's hard to say if this was even random or if it was targeted. I personally believe that whoever did this, that they knew the family, and that I do believe it had something to do with Victoria and Andreas' relationship. But it's hard to say. I do know that this is a huge rabbit hole that I have fallen in, and at this point, I could believe it to be almost any of the men that we mentioned, with the exception of probably Carl Gabriel. I have a hard time believing it was him. What about you? I I really like Lorenz for this one. Old Lorenz Schlittenbauer. I know there's definitely some compelling arguments for the other suspects. Like you say, I it every time you come across them, you're like, oh, this these guys. But then there's no evidence. But with Lorenz, I think he would have known the land well. I think after years of mistreatment by the Grubers, I think he had had enough. And he probably thought he kind of had some kind of like misguided sense of judgment and probably thought everyone would be happy that he had killed them all. He definitely had motive. For oh, sure. for sure. And what about you, dear listener? Are you just as confused as we are? Or does someone stand out to you more than the others? We would honestly love to know your thoughts. Let us know in the comments or on Twitter. And speaking of Twitter, make sure you don't miss out on the Grim Curriculum news by following us on Instagram at the Grim Curriculum and Grim Curriculum on Twitter. You can also find us on social media. I'm Dina V on Twitch. Dina V IG on Instagram and Dina V tweets on Twitter. And I'm ominous underscore walrus on Twitter and ominous walrus on Instagram. Join us every Saturday for a new episode. And we also do a live premiere on YouTube at 12 p.m. MST. So come hang out with us and discuss the case in real time. We love to know your thoughts and we would especially like to know what you thought of this series. Next week, we're going to be doing our first ever cryptid, and they're a particular favorite of mine. I'm so excited for you. I can't wait to talk about him. Thanks for listening, everyone. This has been The The Grim Grim Curriculum. Curriculum.